Welcome to today's episode of the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman, and today we're going over the biggest news topping from this week, including the XFL's deal involving Josh Johnson and the Detroit Lions. On top of that, we're also going to evaluate the playoff picture, mostly the wildcard spot, see how it could all play out, and really pick those teams that I know for a fact have the best shot of making it. Now, after that, the Week 13 predictions, including the Thanksgiving games, you know, gobble, gobble. And uh, the Change My Mind segment, and then close it out with our winners and losers, as usual. So, without further ado, let's get it started. Starting off now with our breaking news this week, the XFL, which, by the way, this story's a little bit underrated. People aren't really talking about it as much as they should be, but it's still a big deal. So... This week, the XFL ended up blocking a trade or an offer for the Lions to explore the possibility of signing Josh Johnson. So, why this is a big deal has to do just mainly with the XFL and the NFL are different. Let's just make sure we get that out of the way. Yes, they are both football, but that doesn't make it, you know, the same thing. There's a difference between them. The difference is XFL is going to have a different set of rules. From the NFL. And with that different set of rules. Means there's different systems of play. You got to change the way you play the game. So your whole mindset's going to be changing. Throughout the whole thing. Your gameplay. Your activity. It's all changing. You're still going to be rigorous and physical. But you're not going to be following the same rules. As you were with say. The XFL. I mean with the NFL. So like there's a really big difference there. And the only way we can understand that. Is through the Josh Johnson thing. So Adam Schefter came out with a story a few days ago saying that Josh Johnson was being checked out by the Lions, who he was with in the offseason, who signed him, and then they cut him in the middle of the preseason. So he was on a team. They wanted to sign him because Matthew Stafford has the fractures in his back, and they really don't want to play him this season. They want to save him up for next year. And they don't want to have Driscoll as the starting quarterback. They want to put somebody else in there that's veteran, that's experienced, or maybe even someone that's going to be like a veteran voice for Josh for Jeff Driscoll. So they want Josh Johnson. So they're looking into it. But when the XFL finds out about this, they block it. Now, forget about if it's right or wrong. We need to understand the core reason. Josh Johnson signed a deal to play for the LA Wildcats in the XFL. When you sign a contract, you cannot opt out of it. You cannot opt out of the contract unless something crazy happens and and, and your conditions and terms and you break rules and that's how you get your contract terminated. The LA Wildcats would have to terminate the contract. They can't do that. Josh Johnson can't be like, hey, I'll go play for you. And I think that's a real reason why the Alliance fell apart. The Alliance of American Football was a great example. Josh Johnson was the number one pick. All of a sudden, right before the season was supposed to start in the spring, summertime, about the, you know, the winter, spring, whenever they were having it, the, all of a sudden, the NFL teams, you know, like the Washington Redskins, were looking for a quarterback. 
Okay, so the Redskins take him. All of a sudden, you got Josh Johnson now starting for the Washington Redskins. Instead of playing in the AEF, he opted to an NFL deal. And because the Lions didn't step in the way of that, it shows the leniency and the things that can happen where deals can get manipulated, deals can happen, backdoor whatever, and go over the top of that league's head where he had originally signed a deal. So the XFL and Vince McMahon are very smart. What they're doing is they're locking him into these contracts that they can't opt out of unless they violate their terms or if the team itself contract um, terminates the contract. So now he's tied to it. Now I think this is, whether this is good or not, I mean on one hand it's not good because the players want, ind- want independence to do what they want and sign with whoever they want. But on another hand, it is good for the XFL because losing Josh Johnson's the main guy, the main star player that you have in that league. The only other person you could consider is Luis Perez, the star from the Alliance. And really, who else? The other quarterbacks that played in the league, like Heineke from the Panthers, the backup? No. I mean, let's just look at this from a different angle. The XFL needs star players, and this is the way to get it. And signing these contracts, it's a good thing for them. And plus, I mean, it also, if you see them get lenient, that's they're all going to think of the same thing. The rest of the players are going to think, oh, so if another team gives me an offer, I can sign with them and just leave the XFL. That's perfect. No, it's it shouldn't work like that. That's why the XFL is doing is going to do well. I guarantee you they survived their first year. But the second year, they may hit issues. Otherwise, heck, I'll tell you. I really like, I want to see what the XFL turns out into because it looks really good. And I can't wait to see what Vince McMahon has done and what these guys who have developed this league have done. It looks great. But yeah, really, it's more about this growing conflict between the XFL and the NFL. There's no correlation between their concepts. But because they're taking players of NFL caliber onto their rosters and then the XFL players want to leave to go play on the NFL rosters if they get offered it's causing a conflict of interest here it's it's like they don't the players want the best shot they can get to provide for their family but they do know if they waste that shot there's no way they're going to be able to make it back so it's it's a mix here it's mixed emotions it can go either way but overall the fact of the matter is The XFL blocked Johnson from being explored by other teams. So that's the breaking news. That's the only big news I have this week. Otherwise, I could talk about the guys on IR, but I'll be making posts about that, about the guys on the injured reserve. So stay tuned. But this leads us now into the big concept and the big topic I want to talk about, which has to do with evaluating the NFL playoff picture. To put it best, these playoffs are going to be intense for the wild cards. It's really intense. Same thing for some of the divisions too. We don't know how it's going to end out, how it's going to turn out. So let's just look into them real quick so we understand. Let's look at the AFC real quick. So your top two wild card teams at the moment are the Buffalo Bills and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now the Steelers are barely in because they're out of they're actually in a four three-way tie. Yeah. They're in a three-way tie for that position. Now, 
Here's how it works. The Bills are 8-3. and three. Steelers are 6-5. and five. So keep in mind, we're focusing more on the wild card 2 spot, the 6th seed, rather than the 5th than the seed. So the Colts are 6-5. and five. The Raiders are 6-5. and five. The Titans are 6-5. and five. And then from there, it's the Browns at 5-6. and six. The Jaguars are 4-7. The Chargers are 4-7. And the Jets are 4-7. So the way I work the AFC is, if you are within 2 games of that 6th seed, I will I will put you as you are in the hunt, to be honest. To be realistic, you are in the hunt. If you are below that threshold, you are not going to make the playoffs. As for the NFC, the two common teams you have, the Seahawks at 9-2 and two and the Vikings at 8-3. Now below them, below that sixth seed, which is the Vikings currently, are the Rams, Bears, Eagles, and Panthers. I'm only leaving those four because I don't believe it's realistic to see the rest of this list on here. That includes teams like Tampa. So, you know, I'm not going to put them on here if I'm trying to be realistic about it. So, here it is. The Rams are the closest to the sixth seed, which is two games back. They're 6-5. and five. The Bears are 5-6. and six. The Eagles are 5-6. and six, And the Panthers are 5-6. and six. So, they're three games back. The reason why I included those three teams on here is because I believe that they have a chance to catch up and shut and push the Vikings out. There's a chance. Doesn't mean it's a good one, but there's a chance. So, let's just focus on the AFC real quick. So, looking at the AFC, I went through the remaining schedules for all these teams, and the way I have it set out is just I evaluated every team's schedule, picked out how they're going to win, what's it going to take, and taking into account the momentum and what's riding on the game. So, that's what I based it on. So, I absolutely believe that for the AFC, the Bills are a lock to make the wild card. Now, although the rest of their schedule really does suck, like, the majority of those games are against really good teams, I still believe that they're going to they're gonna make the playoffs. However, they'll be the top seed, but they are not going to have the best record. They're going to be about 10-6, and six, I believe. So they're eight and three right now. I believe they win two more games out of the remaining five, and they'll finish at ten and six. So they'll make they'll win enough games to get the winning record, and then make the playoffs. Below that, that's where it gets tough. The battle for the sixth seed. So I'll go from top to bottom. I think that team, starting with the four and sevens. I don't think any of the four and sevens have a shot, which are the Jaguars, the Chargers, and the Jets. None of them have a shot to even touch it, even though they're two games out. It'll take an entire change in mindset to get these guys to win. It'll take an entire change in a mindset. For example, we love the Jaguars. I've liked the Jaguars. Always have, personally. I always like the uniforms. I've always liked the team chemistry. I like the owner, Shad Khan. And I've always, I've always had a thing for their coaches. They were good coaches that just got put in a bad situation. So, for example, I love Jack Del Rio. But Del Rio couldn't really get them over the hump. Gus Bradley did not like him. I'll be honest. I didn't like him. Doug Marone, good coach. But I feel like recently he's fallen off. And we'll actually get to that later on. But the Jaguars have a very tough schedule moving forward for the rest of these games. And I don't think they're going to pull out a win. I don't think they can do it. 
So I'm going to say they finish with only one more win out of the remaining five games. There are five games left. They're only going to get one win. And they're going to go to 5-11 and 11 to finish the season. 5-11. and 11. Look at the Chargers now. I'm putting the Chargers as not making it because of simply I don't see Phillip Rivers there anymore. I think he finally went down. I think he's going to retire at the end of the season. I think he realized that he's hit he's hit his high point. This is it. He's peaked. It's over. And the Chargers are only going to get two more games. They're going to go to 6 and 10. That's it. The Jets though, usually everybody would tell me at this point that the Jets are going to lose every game because they're quote unquote tanking. Um I don't think they're tanking. Their run defense just happens to be really good. And that's really what's pushing them forward is how good that run defense is. And their passing game is spotty. So some games it'll be unbelievable, and then some games it won't be. And I think it depends on the defense they play, like most teams. But theirs is more like Jekyll and Hyde, as you can see. Like It's so obvious. The New York Jets are only going to get two games more. They're going to finish at 6-10 and 10 as well. So you can knock those three teams out, the Jags, the Chargers, and the Jets. Let's move to the only 5-6 and six team, which are the Browns. So the Browns have an interesting story because we know how they haven't been playing well recently. And we all know about the situation with, you know, that guy named uh, Miles Garrett. <laughs> so with that, um, I think losing Miles Garrett really does hurt them. But not enough to knock out their chances of making it. So the Browns have a good shot, I think, of getting there. But I don't think they're going to fulfill on it. They're going to come short. So out of the five games remaining, I say the Browns win three more, lose the lose two of them. So in the la- next five games, they're going to they're going to lose two of them. They're going to win the three, and they're going to finish at eight and eight. So they're going to finish at a tie, but they will not make the playoffs. And now we can hit the six and five teams. Steelers, the Colts, the Raiders, and the Titans. This was very difficult for me because I think all these teams have a potential of making it. And at the end of the day, really, whoever makes it as the wild card number six, I don't think they're going to beat that number three seed. They're not going to beat them, whoever it is. I think these division teams are winners are going to be much more difficult than what they're facing. So, I'll start off with the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I understand... Jacoby Brissett is a good quarterback. He's got starting potential. But I don't believe that he is going to have that effect or that ability to push them into the playoffs the way he should. So, out of the most controversial ones I've done, with every prediction I've made, this is probably the the craziest one I've done. I think the Colts win one more game the rest of the season. In the last next five games, they're only going to win one. So, that means the Colts will go from 6-5 and five to 7-9 and nine to finish the season, and they will not make the playoffs. Next up, let's go to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, you're up to Duck Hodges now. Come on! Your passing game is ineffective because you get nothing but injuries. Thanks, Cleveland. And... The only thing really carrying you forward is your defense. Your defense is very good, and they're getting younger. So that's a, that's a great positive. But if I had to put a more, I guess, free spin on it, I would have to say that the Steelers, just, they're, 
they're not there this year. Now, we all expect this because of Antonio Brown leaving. But I don't think it has to do with that mainly. I think it has to do more with just not having Big Ben hurts the team. I think having him would have made a big difference. And I think just because you can say one thing. When you build a team, your order you always start with your offensive line to protect your quarterback, which they've done well with. But then right after that, you need a quarterback. You need a quarterback that can deal that ball out and make it work. And you get one. You have Big Ben. You lose him, and you don't have this guy that can deliver the ball the same way. There's no chance you win. You can't win without one. And the fact that they've even won the games they have with Mason Rudolph is unbelievable. But now they're putting in third string Devlin Duck Hodges. And honestly, I can't wait to see how this goes. This is just going to be really fun to watch. Because I guarantee you, Pittsburgh only wins two more games going forward. They're going to peak out 8-8. Eight 8-8 eight. Eight is going to be their final record. But keep on pulling now. We're going into the next team. I'm going with Tennessee Titans next. I really like the Titans, guys. I really do. I think the way that Tannehill's been playing is stellar. Um, Not like him from the past. This is a different Tannehill I'm seeing. I don't know if it's because he's in a backup role filling in or whatever, but I like Tannehill this season. He's he's impressive. He doesn't have to throw that many passes to get to make game-changing moves and plays. He's got a good backfield with Derrick Henry, better than what he had in Miami. I think the offensive line, obviously not as good as Miami's was last year, but the receiving core, I believe, is more t- is more talented right now. Now, this is controversial because, you know, last year they had Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, Mike Kosicki. I mean, it seemed like it made sense, but let me just push this further. A.J. Brown's having an amazing season. He's actually making a case for himself trying to to be Offensive Rookie of the Year. Adam Humphreys is finally getting more action now that they took Mariota out. And Tajay Sharp's doing really well, too. He's all, they're making use of the game. The tight ends, too. They're getting some action, too. Joni Smith and Delaney Walker. It's just what they wanted. And now that Tannehill can deal the ball downfield, he doesn't need all the time in the world. He just needs enough to get the ball out. He, they're working. Nevertheless, I think because that defense wasn't isn't living up to expectations as it should be, because, you know, they don't have Malcolm Butler anymore, I do believe that that's going to hurt them, and it has been. That's why the secondary has been giving up more points recently. And more and more plays, or they, or at least offensive and more successful against them. So I think that's going to have a negative effect, and they're going to peak out at eight and eight. So they're only going to win two more games out of the next five. So the Titans finish eight and eight. And then to close it all out, let's look at Oakland. Oakland is had a really bad game. We're not. I'm going to get to it later, but Oakland had a really bad game. I don't know what happened to them. And now they're six and five. But typically, when this stuff happens, teams usually rebound, and I expect Oakland to rebound because knowing John Gruden, he will scream his head off to make sure you understood his message. And he's going to drill into these guys, and these guys are going to get are going to get go crazy. They're going to they're going to work to make sure that he's happy. So, again, I got the Raiders finishing nine and seven. Say win three out of the out of the final five games. They win three out of the next five. 
So, that means out of all these teams that are left, the Steelers, the Colts, the Raiders, and the Titans, I have the Raiders taking that final spot. The Raiders will reclaim that sixth seed, and they will make the playoffs by one game at 9-7. and seven. And the Bills will be the number 5, number 1 wild card with 10-6. and six. Go to the NFC now. Let's look at the teams there. I think if you want me to throw out some teams first, the first ones that are going to be out-out, I'm going with the Bears. The Bears, easily, I can put them out because Trubisky's just not performing. He's not proving to be that quarterback. As I continue to say, week in and week out, Trubisky needs to go. It's over. And close the experiment. He needs to go. It's over. They're lucky. He's still on a rookie contract. Um, I was more supportive of him last year. This year, I don't see it anymore. I think the Bears, because of this, are only going to get one game, and it's a give-me game. So they're going to go finish with 6-10. and 10. They're going to go from 5-6 and six to 6-10 six and 10 to close the season. So they're only going to get one more win out of the last five. Now the next team I want to throw in here, I want to throw in the Rams because this one's a confusing one for why I picked the Rams. They're 6-5. and five. They have, They're two games out. They've got the best shot, it seems. But if Golf can't play to his top level or perform at the level he needs to be, he won't. they won't make the playoffs. He's not earning his contract. Think about it. Lamar Jackson's making a lot less money than Jared Goff is. And look what's happening. Lamar Jackson's a front runner to be MVP. And look at Jared Goff playing horribly. Just unbelievable. We expected Lamar Jackson to do better, but this is insane. And we expected Jared Goff to live up to that contract. Just like her cousins. But he is not. So, easily... I'm saying the Rams finish 8-8. Eight eight. They're only going to get two more wins out of the next five games. They're going to finish 8-8 eight eight flat. So then I want to jump into, obviously, the Seahawks real quick because we all know that they're going to make the playoffs. Very obvious. They're 9-2. The only way they're going to tank is if they lose out. That's really the only way they lose their spot. So I see them going 12-4 and four to finish. Let's maintain that wild card spot and fall one game short, one or two games short of catching San Francisco. So they're going to finish 12-4 and four as a number 5 seed, number 1 wild card. So that means they win 3 of their next 5. As for the next team I'm going to, I'm going into uh, the Panthers. The Panthers are just... Kyle Allen had a great game. Great rebound game. Awesome job. Still lost. Doesn't matter. I mean, it does because it's a loss, but the fact of the matter is Kyle Allen had a better game. His passer rating was above 100. That's exactly where he needs to be. Performed at a good level. They just The defense needs to step up, help him out. they got to bail him out, help that offense get on the field more, keep that defense off, which means the defense has to play even better. So that's exactly what's got to happen. And I do believe the Panthers are going to step it up now because now coming down the final stretch, they want to make the playoffs. They have to win out, basically. And I think they come very close. But they lose one game and it kills their stride. They're finishing the season 9-7. and seven. That's it. They win four of their final five games. So they'll finish 9-7. and seven. They'll be close, but they're not going to make it. As for another team I know, the Vikings have been stellar. They've been amazing. I've really liked watching them so far. 
And I do believe that they've got a very good shot. But based off the schedule they have, they have to play, they have to win a lot of games. And they're going to be some really tough games. But I believe in them. And I believe they'll get it done. But they're not going to win them all. I say they go from 8-3 and three to 12-4. and four. They lose one game. Maybe it's to Seattle. Maybe it's to Green Bay. We don't know. All I'm saying is the Vikings are going to finish 12-4. and four. And I think that's really going to help them. It's going to push them into the playoffs, into that race. And then that just means the Eagles at 5-6, and six, I think they'll win out. The Eagles will win out, make it to 10-6. and six. They'll, get, they'll win the next five games. They'll do, they can do it. But it just comes down to if Carson Wentz can step up, if that receiving core can make plays. I think the injuries kill them. Maybe 10-6 and six is a little bit of a stretch. But based off the schedule I saw, I think the Eagles can win out. Because their only real challenge left on their schedule is the Dallas Cowboys. And they can beat the Dallas Cowboys. By the time they play them, they'll be they'll be at full health. They can handle it, and they'll win. But either way, ten and six, good job. But you're not going to get the you're not going to make it. You're going to fall two games short of catching the Vikings. So with that being said, NFC number five seed is going to be the Seahawks. Number six seed is going to be the Vikings. So and they're both going to be at twelve and four. Seahawks get the edge because they played the Vikings and they'll beat them. So yeah, that's that. So. One more time, the AFC's two wildcard seeds I have set are the Bills and the Raiders, and the, and the NFC, as expected, Seahawks and Vikings. The only other teams I see posing a challenge for each one, dark horse to watch out for for the AFC, watch out for the Titans, and watch out for the Browns. Browns got a shot, but they got to step up now if they want to make it run. As for the NFC, only dark horse team you should watch out for is the Eagles, because the Eagles have a really easy schedule going forward for the final five. The Vikings got a tough schedule and the Seahawks got a tough one. So if the Vikings start choking up and the Eagles and the Eagles catch them, they can make the playoffs over them. So the Vikings have to be very careful and the Eagles have to win out. And that's it. So, that's your that's your playoff picture for the wild cards. Now let's jump into the week 13 predictions. We're going to start with the Thanksgiving games cuz you know that's my favorite pastime. Thanksgiving's one of my favorite days and holidays of the year because you don't have any school, got no work, you can go home, sit in a recliner, a plate of dinner right there for you. Turkey, cranberry sauce, corn pudding, mashed potatoes, roasted chestnuts, asparagus, whatever whatever your household does because I'm just giving you examples in my household. Imagine that, sitting there with a plate of food on your lap, eating, watching a beautiful football game between the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys. And you're rooting there, your father or your cousin's rooting on, they're going, yeah, let's go boys, and you're going, yeah, let's go Bills, I hate the boys. It's a whole rivalry, but the thing is, you're all there together, you're having fun, and you're enjoying your food. That's that's what's my favorite holiday. It's like family bonding. And the bonding experience is real. And it's unbelievable. And that's why it's one of my favorite holidays. Because you're so thankful to have the opportunity to even watch these games. To see these games. To be a fan. You feel, you'll feel lucky. And even have the family you have that is so into sports like you are. 
So, with that being said, let's go right into it. Thursday games, Thanksgiving. Here we go. First game, Chicago-Detroit. They usually play every year. Again, Jeff Driscoll being the starter. I don't trust it. I'm taking Chicago real quick on that one. Chicago's going to win. And a surprise, they're going to win it. Um, next game right after that's Buffalo Dallas. Good game, I think. I think Buffalo's going to put up a fight defensively, but Cowboys are finally going to make uh, Josh Allen come back down to earth from his. You know, he's going to come back off a of cloud nine, and they'll take him down. And Dallas will win. I think. I think they might. They might win comfortably. It could be close too. This can go either way, but I still think the Cowboys win either way, no matter what. New Orleans is going to play Atlanta as the primetime game. So they're going to be in Atlanta. Um, after what I saw against Tampa, I don't think I could trust Atlanta anymore. So I'm taking New Orleans to win. New Orleans better win because there should be no excuse to lose to the Falcons. And yes, yeah, so that's, that's the Thanksgiving games for the week. Moving on now to the Sunday, Sunday games and the Monday night football game. Starting with the afternoon games, here we go. The highly anticipated San Francisco 49ers will be taking on the Baltimore Ravens. They're taking on the Baltimore Ravens here in Baltimore. I think it's going to be a highly contested game that the Baltimore Ravens will win. I can't explain to you how, because this can go either way this game. But I think Baltimore's secret weapon is Lamar Jackson. And because we always talk about how good the 49ers defense is, we need to remember... Yeah, their passing game really is what's pushing this whole thing. Their pass defense and their pass rush is what makes this whole thing move. But their run defense is like 20th, 21st. It's not even the top, not even the top 15. They're an average run defense team. So if you incorporate Lamar Jackson to more running situations, option schemes, that's where you're going to succeed. And I think that Ravens take advantage of that and they win the game. So Ravens over San Francisco in a possible upset. Probably upset. Washington goes, takes on Carolina, Redskins, Panthers. What else do I have to say there? Carolina wins. Washington's defense just isn't there. And the offense trying to move with Dwayne Haskins. And I know I said this last week. And then Carolina, and then, you know, Washington ended up beating Detroit. Because I didn't take into account Jeff Driscoll as much as I should have. But, again, I don't think, I think that was just a fluke. Because, you know, Detroit secondary is not good. So, I'm taking Carolina to win it. At home. Jets taking on Cincinnati. This one's a tough game for me. Because this is like a toss-up. The Jets' defense is so good in the run game. Not good in the secondary. Cincinnati's defense just isn't good at all. But their secondary is still better than the Jets. Then... You look at the passing games. Cincinnati's passing game is better than the New York Jets. But the Bengals are getting back Andy Dalton, so that should help them. And the Jets are so low because their offensive line can't protect Darnold at all. So Darnold is going to get some pass rushing schemes. It's like a whole different thing. You have so many different factors to pick for two teams that are pretty much illegitimate at this point. doesn't matter. But I'm taking the Jets in a close one. In Cincinnati, probably going to be decided by a field goal. We got Tennessee 
taking on Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. Another great game. Last time they faced off, Indianapolis pulled out the victory. I think that's the same result this time. Tennessee secondary is going to betray them. I think Tannehill has a good game, but the Colts just get it done offensively. I think the Colts' run defense is going to stop Derrick Henry. And when you stop Derrick Henry, that stops the whole thing. It's like taking a metal pole and putting it in between like a spinning gear. If you put a metal pole in the gear and you put it right perfectly in the slot, that gear will stop moving. And that's what's going to happen to the Titans if you if you shut down Derrick Henry. You stick the pole in, that's what's going to happen. So I'm taking the Indianapolis over Tennessee and Indy. Next game, Tampa Bay-Jacksonville. Another tough game I had to pick. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm taking Tampa in Jacksonville to win. Mainly because I just feel like ever since Foles came back, the Jaguars haven't been the same in the past game. Chark's been seeing less less action as he should be. Fournette's still pounding the ball, but not at the same rate he was. I felt like the team was working better when Minshew was starting. That's not a great thing, but I think it's the truth. I think finally taking Minshew out and putting in Foles when he was healthy really messed up the team chemistry, and that's why now everything's falling apart. And that's why they haven't won since Foles got back. And I think it's going to stay that way. Tampa takes advantage. No matter how good the secondary is still playing, I still think Tampa Bay exploits that. Winston finds a way. He's going to turn over the ball at least once. But Evans and Evans has a big day over Godwin, and that's how they're going to win. So Tampa over Jacksonville. If I'm wrong, I'm, I, I don't know anymore. Tampa's so unpredictable. Oakland is going to take on Kansas City. So the Raiders versus the Chiefs. In Arrowhead Stadium. I'm taking the Chiefs. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Still sticking by it. The Chiefs are just too good to beat. Oakland doesn't stand a chance. The only way they're going to win is if Josh Jacobs runs it for over 100 yards. Don't see that happening. As good as he is, I don't know if he's going to have enough to beat Mahomes. Because Mahomes is going to abuse the secondary for the Raiders. And Carr did not have a good week last week against the Jets secondary. I mean, come on, man. Alright, so I'm sticking, with, I'm sticking with Kansas City. So now Oakland's going to go on a two-game losing streak. Moving on to Philly versus Miami. The Eagles play the Dolphins, you know, at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. Um, I don't know how you don't take Philly here. The only reason you wouldn't take them is because their receivers still are not great. But I don't think it's going to stop them. Injuries have been a real problem for the Eagles, but they'll pull it out against Miami. It's might, This might be a close game. This may be a close game, but still sticking with the Eagles no matter what. Eagles got this. Green Bay taking on the New York Giants at MetLife. I got to take Green Bay here. Only reason I take the Giants is because the Green Bay pass defense doesn't stand up well against the Giants' Daniel Jones. But that does not mean that it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. The Packers are just too good offensively and defensively to beat. I think they overpower. They overpower the Giants and win. Moving on to the next game, the LA Rams take on the Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. I'm taking the Rams. It's it's an interesting pick for the Rams here 
because Kyler Murray's been doing really well. Arizona's been playing okay, but their secondary and their defense has really been holding them down. So I think the Rams finally get a break this week. Todd Gurley might get more action. He may finally have a really good game. And then Goff, you know, no turnovers. He'll go get like two, three touchdowns passing in the air. And they'll get a good win against Arizona. Chargers take on Denver. Um, Two really good defenses going up against each other. Denver's definitely going to force some turnovers away from Rivers. But again, I don't like seeing a quarterback who's inexperienced taking over for a team. I'm not thrilled with it, even though this has been the year of the backup. I still believe that the Chargers will win this game. No matter how bad Rivers has been playing, they'll pull it out probably in a close one. Cleveland going to play Pittsburgh. It's a 1 o'clock game, by the way. My apologies for not for putting this towards the end. It's a 1 o'clock game. Cleveland takes on Pittsburgh. Good game here because now you're going to have Baker Mayfield there taking on Devlin Hodges. Hodges' first game as a starting quarterback. I think it may go rough. I'm taking Cleveland to win it just simply because that offense isn't going to move and that Browns defense is going to take care of business. The def- It's going to be a defensive-minded game, but Cleveland will pull it out for the victory. Which now brings me to the Sunday night football game on NBC. Here it is, New England versus Houston. Good game. Great game selection for this one. I looked into this. I tried to see if I can find a reason Houston wins this. I can't find it. Taking New England. The only reason Houston would win, really, is if a receiver goes down or if the defense has a couple hiccups and can't get turnovers. The only way the Texans can also win is if their secondary can force Brady to throw bad passes and make bad decisions. So I don't know how that's going to work out, but I don't think it's going to work well, and the Patriots win in prime time. And then the final game of the week, Monday Night Football on ESPN. This is the game I've been waiting for. This is the game of the week and maybe the game, one of the best games this season. The Minnesota Vikings taking on Seattle in CenturyLink Field at Seattle. So, great game decision here. Whoever whoever this committee was for scheduling, great job for this game. You guys knew this was going to be a good game. Rashad Penny had a great week last week. He's going up against Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook and Rashad Penny have been doing really well lately. Penny has been leading that team with Chris Carson. And on that other side, you've got Dalvin Cook and Madison pulling their weight and moving this offense forward. Kirk Cousins doing really well using Stephon Diggs and Kyle Rudolph in the passing game. And on the other side, you look at Russell Wilson, the top MVP candidate there, right there with Lamar Jackson. Put him up with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. It's just an inseparable duo. You can't beat that. I don't know if I can really say that Seattle can definitely win this game. And I can't say that Minnesota is definitely going to win this game. This is another one of those toss-ups. Vikings defense is good. Seattle's defense not as good. But what makes them different is that Seattle's offense is more explosive on the ground. And so are the Vikings. The Vikings and the Seattle are explosive on the ground. They're explosive in the air. But Vikings defense is better. I have every reason to pick the Vikings right now. I can do it right now and stick with it and say that they're going to get a nice win over the Seattle Seahawks. But I won't do it. 
because playing at the 12th man at CenturyLink Field is impossible. It's really hard to beat a team like that at CenturyLink Field, even though both of their losses have happened at CenturyLink Field this season. I'm still sticking with the Seahawks here to beat the Vikings. If the Vikings win, so be it. I'm sticking with Seattle. Very good game. But Seattle's going to take it and they're going to edge it out. Very close game. Very close. Remember that. So yeah, that's it for the Week 13 predictions. So going down the list in order again. For the Thanksgiving game, Chicago will take down Detroit and Detroit. Buffalo walks into Dallas just to get destroyed by the Cowboys. New Orleans goes into Atlanta, walks out with the win. Moving into the Sunday games, the Baltimore Ravens pull out a close one against San Francisco at home. Washington goes into Carolina, gets mauled by the Panthers. The Jets go into Cincinnati, fly out with the win. Tennessee struts into Indianapolis, gets trampled by the Colts. The Bucks sail into Jacksonville and come out with a victory. Oakland goes into Kansas City just to find out the Chiefs are ready and Mahomes is ready to take them down. Chiefs win. Philly goes into Miami and beats the Dolphins. Green Bay goes into MetLife, comes out with the victory. The Rams go into Arizona, kill the Birds. The Chargers go into Denver to take on the Broncos, come out from mile high with a win. Cleveland goes to Pittsburgh and beats Pittsburgh. On the Sunday night football game, New England against Houston. New England will walk into Houston and knock down the Texans. And finally, for the final game of the week, Monday Night Football, Minnesota goes into Seattle just to get beat by the Seahawks in a close one. So a lot of road team. I have the road, the road teams getting the majority of wins this week. Surprising usually, but I sticking by it. I think the road teams get the win here. Which now brings me over into the Change My Mind segment. Thank you guys for listening so far. I really appreciate it, but let's keep it going. Change My Mind. Last week's segment on the Super Bowl really didn't get as much attention as I thought to the point where nobody commented. You guys liked the photos, but you didn't comment. So I really encourage you guys to please comment so we can make this the best podcast there is out there. One of the best rising podcasts. Please, guys. Really appreciate it. Make sure to comment on those debate posts. Thank you. That leads me into this week. A lot of head coaching jobs are at jeopardy right now. A lot of them. We, I've heard Jason Garrett's name thrown around for the Cowboys now that they want a Super Bowl now or he will be fired. So you could say he's in the hot seat. So he's one of them. I got Ron Rivera in the hot seat for the Panthers. I believe you could put Freddie Kitchens in there on the hot seat if they don't, if they continue to lose. Which they haven't. They've actually been doing okay. Coming back, that is now. Brian Flores you could throw in the hot seat. You can throw even Matt Patricia in there for the Lions because they're just not playing well this season. There's plenty of options. But I can guarantee you that one player, or I should say one coach, should be fired. And that will be Doug Marone. Doug Marone will be fired at the end of the season, the head coach of the Jaguars. So once again, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Doug Marone, will be fired at the end of the season. Change my mind. Let me explain. Doug Marone has been there since they made the AFC Championship game in 2017. And before that, 
He was the offensive coordinator for the Jaguars under Gus Bradley. Now, when Bradley got fired midseason, Marone had to finish out the year, and he led them on a four-game winning streak to end the year. He led them on a winning streak. They won out. They got a high. They got a lower draft pick, but it didn't matter. The fact of the matter was they ended on a high note. They did a good job. So they kept Marone around, signed him officially. 2017, this defense and this offense are just so good. They're so explosive. They're flying down the field with the ball, and they're destroying everybody. In the AFC, in the NFC, they're unstoppable. I mean, let me put it this way. In 2017, I was actually convinced when they hit playoffs that the Jaguars were going to the Super Bowl. I didn't think they were going to win, but I knew they were making the Super Bowl. I, I had it set that it was going to be Jaguars-Vikings in the Super Bowl, and the Vikings win it. I was set on it. I was saying the Vikings get their first Super Bowl in franchise history. Out of the, out, since the previous four, they didn't win. But you get the point. What I'm trying to say is, 2017, it got cut short when, on a controversial call, I still stand by, believe the Jaguars got cheated. But that's not the point. They lose to the Patriots. They don't make the Super Bowl. That defense was first in the NFL in pass defense. 21st in run defense, which is understandable because that's usually how it is. And they were second overall in the league for defense. Second best overall defense. So that means in the pass and run game together in every asset of the, of the defense, they were ranked second overall out of, the, out of all 32 teams. That's actually impressive to me. The only team they were behind that year was the Vikings. Let's fast forward two years now. That defense is now ranked 10th in pass defense. Still good, but not great. Their run defense has fallen to the bottom five in the league at 29th in run defense. Now, how does this affect their overall? Their overall defensive rating is 18th. They're 18th in the NFL. So they fell in the span of two years from second overall defense to 18th. They fell in run defense from 21st to 29th, and they fell in pass defense from 10th, from 1st to 10th in two years. Now, I understand losing Jalen Ramsey hurts. And I know losing a couple other guys in free agency kind of hurts you too, but you've got to find a way around that. And that's on Marone, and that's on the GM. Do I believe he deserves to be fired? Of course not. That, but that's not what I'm saying. My argument isn't, oh, he deserves to be fired. My argument is he will be fired. I'm saying what exactly Jacksonville's going to do. So, to put this even better, from a winning perspective, from just the records, if you guys want to even go just to the records, Doug Marone went 10-6 and six in 2017 with the Jaguars. They won the division. They were like a third, fourth seed. They made it all the way to the AFC Championship game, got beat by the Patriots. Now, since then, after that game, the total combined record for the Jaguars is 9-18. and 18. As of this episode, which is right before week 13, their, his record as a head coach for the Jaguars, as of 2018 to now, is 9-18. and 18. So he's only won 9 of his 27 games played. That's a 33% winning percentage. Not good at all. They went 5-11 last year. They're sitting at 4-7 and seven now. Something has to change or it's nothing's going to, or they're in trouble. I think it's not my decision to say Doug Marone gets fired or that he should be fired. I'm just saying he will be. 
Knowing the Jaguars organization, they're always in a win-now mode, as a lot of teams are. And that's a mistake. Some things take time. I think that Jaguars team was really good defensively, but because they didn't focus on the offense, they couldn't succeed. So, again, I think Doug Marone will be fired because he couldn't rebuild the team that he had two years ago. And the Jaguars will move forward and find a coach that can get the job done. Whether it's on him or not, this is the Jaguars saying, we want to win now. We had a chance two years ago. Ever since then, you haven't even been able to get us to the playoffs or get us a winning record. So because of that, we're going to have to let you go. So Doug Marone will be fired, and they will find somebody else who can get them back to the playoffs. Change my mind. Change my mind. If you guys want to go ahead and debate me on this or even try to change my mind, even support me if you want. Comment on a post I'll be putting up on Instagram and Twitter. So on Instagram, you can check it out at the.sideline.statsman and on Twitter at tstatsman. Make sure to comment, like the post, even give us a follow. Much appreciated. So this now jumps right into, or squeezes into, our winners and losers segment to close out the episode. Two winners, two losers. You guys know how it works. One player loser and winner. One team loser and winner. So this week, I'm going to start out with uh, the player. And I'm going with, as a winner, Lamar Jackson. Quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I thought about it because this was a tough pick. Because there was a couple good QB performances. You know, like Ryan Tannehill had a good game. Sam Darnold had a good game. Derrick Henry had a career game. But, you know, I had to go with somebody that really did something unique. So I'm taking Lamar Jackson. You're going up against a Rams defense that obviously isn't as strong as it was last year. But it doesn't hide the fact the Rams team was good. So the defense has always been something that's been a bright spot for the Rams. Jalen Ramsey there now being their star corner. When you put up, when you complete 15 to 20 passes, it's a 75% completion percentage. It's great. So for 169 yards, okay? Really low yardage, but I understand why because of the system. Five touchdowns. Wait, 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 wait. Pause. 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 Lamar Jackson had five touchdowns on 15 passes. I should say 15 completions. That means Five of those 15 completions were touchdowns. So let's keep doing the math here. Out of the 20 attempts, five of them were touchdowns. That means 25% of his passes were touchdowns. Let's go into the completions alone. That means five of his 15 completions were touchdowns. That's a 33% of... That means 33% of his completions were touchdowns. That's unbelievable. And he didn't have a pick the whole game. So think about that. This kid's arm is insane. He's smart with the ball. He's putting it in the right spots. And he's doing amazing. And also not to mention his passer rating was a 139.4. One of the best of the week. Behind a couple other quarterbacks. But again, doesn't matter. Let's throw on top of that his running statistics. Because you know, he has to run. He had 8 carries for 95 yards. Which averaged out to 11.9 yards per carry. Absolutely um, absolutely insane. One-of-a-kind quarterback. You're not going to find somebody like this guy. I'm very happy to say I finally got Lamar Jackson on the winner's list, and I can't wait to see 
what he does next. And I believe that if he takes this team to the playoffs, he's going to get that MVP award. If he gets this team to the Super Bowl, he's getting the MVP award. No matter what, as long as he performs at a higher level than Russell Wilson, he will win the MVP. Great job. But now, we jump into the loser this week. I never thought I'd be saying this, but my loser this week is Aaron Jones, running back for the Green Bay Packers. Now, usually this is a tough point for me because Aaron Jones has been very good recently. But he goes on, he takes on the 49ers, who really don't have a good, you know, run defense. They're nearly not that good. They have a very good pass defense, but not the same with the run. The Packers lost that game 37-8. to They got blown out. They got destroyed. Rodgers had no idea what to do. But that's not who my talk is about. My talk is about Aaron Jones. He had 13 carries for 38 yards with an average of 2.9 yards per carry. I am sorry, but if you are the starting running back, I don't care how bad your offensive line is. You have to find ways to make plays happen and advance the ball down the field. 2.9 yards per carry is unacceptable. I need to see you prove that you are the top running back in your division, in your conference in the NFL. If you want to talk as much as you talk, you have to put up. That is a simple rule with everything. You could talk as much smack as you want and gloat all you want. But if you don't have the words to back your statements or the actions to back those words, you will not be respected as a football player. And that hurts more than anything. So the fact that you couldn't even get a touchdown or more than three yards per carry, that's unbelievable. And that's my, it's, I can't, I can't come up with words. I can't, I'm running out of words to say here. Aaron Jones, you have to step up your game, man. Because if the passing game isn't working, they're going to trust the run game to help out. And you couldn't help out. Jamal Williams couldn't even help out. The run game itself has to work. If it doesn't work, you guys won't work. You can't win. Come on, man. Get back in the game, get your, get your head back on the stool, and let's go. Get this team moving again. Because you guys need a big win this week. You need it. Because the, the Minnesota Vikings are right on your tail. Moving into the next loser, I'm going with the Cincinnati Bengals for the team. See, usually, I again, like I say every week, I try my best... Not to put a team who's really bad as a loser. But this week I have to. Because I look at other teams and I can't really create as much of an excuse, except the Raiders, as much as I can for the Bengals. The reason why I put the Bengals here instead of the Raiders has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, they started Ryan Finley. It has to do with the fact of the circumstances of their loss. It was a close game, 16-10. to 10. When you read it, you're like, okay... Close game, you can't really give him too much, you know, you can't give him too much shit about it. But, they lost 16-10 to the Steelers. Okay, the Steelers. Yeah. Let me just state for the record that that Steelers offense was pretty much a third-string offense. A third-string offense! Yes, I'm not kidding. 
Think about it. Mason Rudolph, second string quarterback, can't even play to his top ability. He's, he's going 50% completion percentage and interception. They put in the third string quarterback. And what does he do? He beats you. He beats you. And he was barely better than Rudolph. You had no James Conner. You had really no, an ineffective Jalen Samuels. He was even playing. If he was even playing. So now, oh my goodness, we need a running back. You're throwing a third string guy. What, what happens? The rookie Benny Snell has a game. The fourth string running back has a game. And they tear you up. Let's go. Now, I'm not even going to stop here. Let's keep going with this. The receiving court, no Juju Smith-Schuster or Deontay Johnson. Two of the three starting receivers on the squad are not playing. Because one was in concussion protocol and the other one, I have no clue what was up with him. And what's left? James Washington. Just one big name receiver. James Washington. There should be no reason that they go for more passing yards or even advance the ball down the field as much as you do. But no, we're the Cincinnati Bengals. Our secondary really does suck. So, you know, let me just... I feel like I'm going to have an aneurysm about this. Let me go into every team statistic total for the game. For total yardage, the Pittsburgh Steelers have nearly 100 more yards of total yardage than the Cincinnati Bengals. It was 338 yards to 244. Look at the passing game. Pittsburgh narrowly more than the Cincinnati Bengals. 150, 179 passing yards to 158. They have more passing yards than you. With a third string quarterback. And like no starting receivers except for James Washington. Their running game had 159 yards compared to 86. I'm sorry. Is Joe Mixon still on the team? Is Giovanni Bernard still on the team? There should be no reason that a good running back like Joe Mixon and a veteran back Giovanni Bernard should not Combined for over 100 yards rushing. There should be no reason. And the fact that there is, is disgusting. No, but the even better part is how the Bengals defense gave up 159 yards to a third and fourth string running back on the Steelers. On the Steelers. I mean, how are you going to explain yourself? How are you going to justify the fact that you gave up 159 yards total rushing yards to a third and fourth string running back? You can't make an excuse for that. It's unbelievable. And let me end it with just third down efficiency just to throw it out there. Pittsburgh converted 31% of their third downs. Not a good number. Not a good number for that. But no, Cincinnati's was worse. 16%. At this point... Why did you bench Andy Dalton? Why did you bench Andy Dalton? I don't get it. Thank goodness you're starting him this week. Thank goodness. Finally, we get a we get a good quarterback in. No offense to Ryan Finley, but you did not deserve to start over Dalton. That was one of the worst decisions I've seen by a former quarterback coach in Zach Taylor. Horrible decision. The Bengals deserve to be losers this week, and I know I should be giving this to the Raiders, but I'm sorry. You lost to a third-string offense. You lost to a third-string offense who out who beat you in passing yards and rushing yards and third-down efficiency and total yardage. 
To me, that is unacceptable and nothing you could come back from. So yeah, you deserve your spot this week, buddy. And now, change of tone here. Let's go to the winner team. Taking the New York Jets, who had to take on the Oakland Raiders this week, last week. They won 34-3 over the Raiders. It was a blowout victory. I'm very impressed. Adam Gaze finally got things under control for the Jets. Sam Darnold had a great day. 20 for 29 for 315 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, the defense also forced a turnover, and they were averaging 6.7 yards per play. It was great. Great job by, by the Jets' offense. The Jets' defense did enough to lock down Derek Carr. Now, the reason why they were able to do it was because Josh Jacobs was shut down by the run defense. Because, again, number one run defense in the league. Here's how I explain it. You take one asset of the game out, like I said earlier, with the pipe reference. Take one, take one part of the offense out and see how that team does. Take away one component of that team and see what happens to the team. Take away Josh Jacobs. What does Derek Carr have to do? He has to throw the ball. He has to force the ball. And when that happens, he can't perform. Because that hasn't been their strong point in their offensive system, in their playbook. That's what makes it different. So now, you have to watch the Raiders choke and get destroyed on television because John Gruden and didn't prepare the team right. He didn't adjust his offense for the game they were playing against the Jets. He didn't expect the Jets' defense to come out there and destroy their, their passing game like that. So, great job on the Jets' part for preparing properly and knowing the way that Josh Jacobs runs, what he does, and shutting him down absolutely, completely. It was a great performance. I'm very impressed, and I think you guys deserve that win over the Raiders. I'm very happy for you. I'm very happy. That was another good win. Y'all got your y'all are four and seven now, after having no wins for a while. I'm I'm happy. Good job, you guys. You deserve the win. So with that being said, that's gonna do it for us here at the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman. Be sure to tune in next week with our next episode covering Week 13 and going into Week 14 with some other breaking news, which we will soon be discussed. I'm your host, The Sideline Statsman. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. We'll see you next week. Have a great day, everybody, and happy Thanksgiving.